exciting. We are blessed that uh, we have our United Pentecostal Church International General Secretary with us. Brother Graham was just elected to that position. He had pastored in the, uh, in the St. Louis area for several years. He has been a youth president for our entire organization, and now he serves as the general secretary. And there's a reason why people continue to vote him into these positions to serve, because not only is he, anybody that hears Brother Graham knows he's a great preacher. We learned yesterday he's a great teacher. But you don't just get elected to serve in district position, national positions, I'm sorry. Um, and he was our Missouri district superintendent. That was the only downside to him taking this position because then he left the Missouri district in that position as our superintendent. So we don't get to see him quite as much. But, uh, I, you know, if he does a pretty good job here today, we should just bring him back every year, right? I mean, now that he is still in Missouri because the headquarters for our, our organization are in Missouri, but Brother Graham is recognized every stage of his life. People have voted him into these positions because he is a leader. He's a godly man. He's a visionary. And so you're going to see here in a moment, too, he's a great preacher. And I know he's going to have a word from God for us. But yesterday at our leadership uh, event, he was wearing a royal blue sweater. I thought it matched nicely. We gave him a Kansas City Royals cup because... You can only imagine the unfortunate circumstance of living in St. Louis. He cheers for a different team that wears the demonic red, you know? Um, so, so we chose to give him that role. He kind of looked at it. He was not, I don't, can't tell if he was a huge fan of it or not. So I want to just do this before because I don't do this all the time, but I love this man so much. He's been so kind to me and to my family since we've moved in the Missouri district. So my brother-in-law, I have two here. My, my brother-in-law, Raul, is also from Milwaukee. Well, come on up. Um, he, I, we figured we'd try a different shade of blue. <laughs> Raul, 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 hold it up so that they can get it on, on, on YouTube because this is the Milwaukee Brewers. So if he's not going to cheer for the Royals, we thought, you know what? We're just trying to make him get out of that demonic red color, you know? A different shade of blue. So, but seriously, uh, we love brother and sister Graham. She wasn't able to come, but they have been nothing but friends in kind and just open arms to us since we've moved into the Missouri district. And they've always made it known that they believe in us. And so that's huge when your leadership gives you a voice of approval that I believe in you, I love you, I support you, and they have always shown that. And so I wonder if we could, not only a great man of God, great preacher, general secretary, but a friend of myself, my family, and thus you in this church, could we all just stand to our feet and honor the man of God as he comes to the pulpit this morning? Well, you are, you are very kind. I'm just, I just want to know if anybody else sees the kind of humor in the fact that he wants to call red demonic, and he just gave me a hat after the brewers. <laughs> he gave me a hat celebrating somebody that manufactures alcoholic beverages. <laughs> oh, root beer. Ah, I see. Yeah, go with that. That'll work. Boy, this is a great place to be, y'all. Wow, I'm just so moved and impressed. 
by what God is is doing here and the climate and the the feel and just the the man the worship and the teaching today and just I'm telling you if I lived around here someplace and didn't have a church that wouldn't last long this is a good place to be and I commend what's so excited about what's happening here and Last night we looked at some property options that I know y'all are considering. And man, just it's so exciting to see the future and what God's going to be doing. Amen. I, um, I have thrown the media team a complete curveball, so I'm going to give them just a minute by letting them get to Leviticus 22 and 17. Uh, and and I've, I've just twisted them around the axle here a little bit today. But Leviticus 22, 17, they'll work with me because they're professionals. And I thank God for that. I want to honor your pastor and his good wife. You are a blessed group of people here today, my brother and sister Dornbach. And if we, if, if, if we somehow make this an annual pilgrimage, you better know I'm bringing a gift next year, just so you know that. <laughs> I probably just shot myself in the foot about getting any kind of invitation back. <laughs> Amen. On my list of, of you know, the top 100 really good people around uh, your pastor and his wife have got two of those spots they're just good good people and we're blessed in Missouri to have them here and you're blessed for them being here and their precious children amen it's a joy it's a joy Leviticus 22 I'm going to read beginning in verse 17 uh, Leviticus is a book that has killed many a bread chart Leviticus has probably killed as many New Year's resolutions as Dunkin' Donuts has. Uh, there have just been a lot of people that got their Genesis and Exodus was kind of excited, and then they hit Leviticus. And uh, that's unfair because there's some good stuff. I'm going to show there's some good stuff in there. Let me show you something today. Leviticus 22 and 17. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. That's a long way to say now. If you're getting ready to offer a sacrifice, here's what I want you to hear. Ye shall offer, verse 19, ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, that would be cattle, of the sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish... That shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offer the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or sheeps, it shall be perfect. Everyone say perfect. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. And then he begins to list some of the things that would eliminate a little lamb or a something from being considered for sacrifice. He said, you can't be any of these. Verse 22, blind or broken or maimed or having a wind or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either, he says, a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous. That's a nice word. If it's got an extra part, old three years is not going on the altar. Or he says, or lacking in his parts. Now he says, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering. But for a vow, he says, it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut. Neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture, friends? God says to them, you're not going to dig around in the corners of your pasture and find something you didn't want anyway. 
and bring that and offer that to me and expect me to be impressed with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to require the best you've got to offer. I'm going to require the best of your flock. You're not going to find the off-scouring and bring that in and think I'll be satisfied and be impressed by some program you go through if you're not giving your best. But that ain't near about what I'm going to preach about today. Not even close. My question falls on the other side of this equation, and it's this. What does the shepherd do then with a blemished lamb? What does the shepherd do with one that doesn't have it all together? What's the shepherd do with one that's got a scar? And that's what I want to preach about today for a little while. You can be seated. God bless you. Have you ever, <clears throat> you ever met, I mean, other than Jesus Christ, of course, have you ever met anyone who's perfect? Well, have you ever met anyone who thinks that they don't nudge your spouse right now? Please don't do that. I read an essay a while back. It's been a couple years, a few years ago now, I guess. It was in the newspaper, and I read this essay that a lady wrote about the perfect couple. It was the perfect man married to the perfect woman. They had a perfect, they drove a perfect car, had perfect jobs, lived in a perfect house with a perfect yard. They had perfect smiles, perfect eyes, perfect personalities. They were perfect. This lady that wrote the essay, did I mention that it was a lady that wrote it? Because that's very important. This lady that wrote the essay, um, said that, that this couple was driving along one Christmas Eve in their perfect car, and up ahead in the ditch they saw the battered remains of a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Santa had had a blowout and a runner on his sleigh and was stranded there in the ditch on the side of the road. Being perfect people, they didn't want the children to be disappointed, so they pulled over to the side of the road and let Santa in their car, and they set off at a very high rate of speed because you've got to go rather fast to visit every house in one night. So this lady that wrote the, I did mention it was a lady that wrote the article. Okay. This lady that wrote the article said that as they were flying down this little country road, they hit a patch of black ice. The car went out of control and off hit a phone pole. And she said there, were, there was only one survivor. And the lady that wrote this article posed the question, who survived the accident? Her response was it had to be the woman. Because, she said, everyone knows that Santa and a perfect man are mythical creatures. <sighs> the following week in the paper, a gentleman posted a reply to her essay. He said, of course it was the woman. She was driving. That explains the accident. Now, I didn't say that. I did not. I'm just reporting to you what was in the newspaper. I did not. I did not say that. But the simple fact is that we understand the humor of that story aside that outside of Jesus Christ, there is no one that's perfect. And yet it's fascinating to me that the Bible speaks to us in a lot of regards about perfection and applies that term to our lives. Now, I understand that the word means completeness or wholeness or soundness, but I can make a pretty good case from Scripture that the Bible looks at your life and declares it perfect in the past, in the present, and in the future. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's past tense. And then in Ephesians 4, he said he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the 
saints. That's right now. And then in 1 Peter 5, he said, but God of all grace, after he's caused you, given you glory and you've suffered a little while, he said, he will make you perfect. All I'm telling you is that the Bible looks at your life and says, when I look back at Calvary, I see you were perfected then. When I look at you in the church, I see you're being perfected now. And when I look forward into heaven, I see you clothed in my glory, and I see you perfect then. I am positionally perfect in my past. I am practically perfect in my present. And I am prophetically perfect in my future. And nothing the devil has to say about it can change that fact. You say, well, preacher, you don't know me. You don't know the mistakes I made. I am not talking about you and your own sufficiency. But when the blood of Christ has covered us and your life has been redeemed, something happens. All I'm saying is you need to stop looking in the mirror and seeing a list of your failures. And you need to see yourself like Jesus Christ sees you. You need to look at your own life. If we celebrate the fact that God looks at us through the eyes of mercy, we need to learn to look at ourselves through the eyes of mercy and say, I am not defeated. I am not, I'm not damaged goods. God's not stuck with me. He looks at me and sees me as perfect. But that perfection, that wholeness, that soundness only exists in Christ Jesus. Outside of him, of course. We are anything but perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little while here today, and just please ride along with me. The, the flight today has a long runway but a short flight. Okay? Do not be discouraged when the wheels are not off the ground too quick. We won't be in the air long. Okay? So just, just keep your seat backs at tray tables in their fully upright and locked position. You do not have to keep your seatbelt on, but just ride with me here a minute. The Old Testament law contained detailed instructions for every facet of life in Israel. At Mount Sinai, when God met Moses on the top of that mountain, he gave him regulations that he would require of Israel. And this spectrum of rules, if you please, this spectrum of law and regulation that God gave touched a wide variety of topics. God gave them instructions about what to eat, about what to wear, about when to work, about how to travel, how to camp. He gave them instructions about everything in life. I mean, it touched everything, civil penalties, criminal penalties. He addressed every area of how they were to live. He got so minute that he said, if you've got an ox that is prone to get out of its pen and chase people down and you don't keep it pinned up and it gets out and hurts somebody, here's the penalty that's going to be prescribed for your carelessness. I mean, he, he dealt with everything about what kind of things they could put on their plate and health issues about how to address the leprosy. He dealt with everything and God expected them to live that way. See, God's got this identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And God has this idea that if he got you out of slavery that he has the right to give you some guidelines about how to live now that you're free. And and, and, and if you don't like the guidelines you can always go back to living in Egypt. See, that's why I've never understood people that got all upset that God wanted to act like he was God. Honey, he got us out of slavery. He brought us out of bondage. He delivered us from where we came from. And now that we're free, God is willing to step in and say, now this is how I want you to live. This is how you ought to look. This is how you ought to talk. This is how you ought to be. Because he got me out of slavery. 
When I look in my rearview mirror and I see the pyramids are back there and I see the taskmasters are drowned in the sea, I'm glad to look at God and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to live, whatever you want to say to me, it's no problem. I'm just glad to be free. He gave them all manner of guidelines about their life. Not the least among these was those commandments that had to do with their religious practice. God was intensely specific about everything they were supposed to do in their worship to him. He described the tabernacle to them in such minute detail that if we could still get a hold of the materials, we could build it today. He told them how long, how tall, how many curtains, how many poles, how many rings, what colors the skins were to be, all the dimensions, what the furniture looked like, and God required that they build every part of it exactly like he said. There's a verse in Exodus 25 where he said, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and after the pattern of the entrance thereof, even so shall you make it. God really wasn't interested in a debate. He wasn't interested in their opinion. Well, I think it ought to be 10 feet longer. Well, good for you. When you get to be God, you can make the rules. I mean, he just really wasn't interested in what they had to say about it. God said, this is how you are to do it. Now, hear me well right now. That is not God being a bully. That is God being merciful. God was saying, I'm going to give you a remedy of how to deal with your sin, and I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. And if you want your sin to be dealt with, this is how it has to unfold. That's the mercy of God. I'm very glad God was merciful to tell us how to deal with sin. Anybody besides me glad this book is specific about how to deal with sin? I'm glad the book didn't leave it to us for a wonder and have to guess. No, he was very clear. You repent of your sins. You're baptized like this dear lady was in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost. He gave us instruction about how to deal with our sin. I say thank God for that. It really doesn't matter what I think of it. The Word of God is going to stand doesn't really matter what my grandma thought about it. The Word of God is going to stand. He was specific. He gave them guidelines. Don't worry, we're still on the runway. He gave them every guideline about what they were to do and how they were to worship, the feasts. and, and, And then he got unbelievably specific when it came to the sacrifices that would be offered in that tabernacle. Oh, there were so many. There were sin offerings and peace offerings and trespass offerings and the annual offering of the Day of Atonement, offerings of sanctification, and every one of them had different guidelines about what you offered and how you killed it and what you burned and what you kept and what the priest ate and what nobody ate. And I mean, it went on and on and on. And one of the requirements that God required for these sacrifices was this, that what you offered had to be perfect. Couldn't have a blemish. Couldn't have a scar. It had to be perfect. He would not settle for less than the best when it came to that sacrifice. If you brought a lamb or a goat or a bullock or a turtle dove, it had to be without blemish. Now, having said all that, I want you to take a trip with me. I want you to journey with me for a moment back to the tent of a a Hebrew shepherd who is getting a sacrifice ready to take to the tabernacle to offer, all right? (laughs) A heavenly amen. That was powerful. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. I'm 
I want to go up there again, come down, just see if that happens again. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Journey with me to this tent, you know, and, and, and we've, got, we've got the shepherd up there in his tent, and he's, he's, he pulls up his Excel spreadsheet, and he starts running through the sheep, and his, and his flock could see a shepherd knows his sheep, and he starts running down through that flock, and, and they're just some that he knows before he even gets started aren't going to be good enough. Now, dear friends, over the next couple of minutes here, I'm going to throw out some names. If I happen to call your name, this is not a word of prophecy. Okay? This is not some spiritual gifting. Time and chance happen to all men, the Bible says. This is just random, okay? Don't, don't freak out or get insulted, either one, all right? But he's scrolling down through his, through his list of, of sheep there, and, and, he, and he, Bill... I knew it. I knew I'd hit one. I should have done like Rufus or something. Oh, Bill, man. Oh, Bill's not going to work. You know, Bill's got that one ear that's crooked. He's just like his daddy and his grandpa. They've been that way for three generations. God love their heart. They just, he ain't going to work. And Susan. No, all right. Susan's got that left hind leg that's shorter than the other. She limps every place she goes. That ain't going to work. Tommy and Tony, their brothers, they fight all the time. They got lumps on their head from butting their heads together out there in the flock. They're sure not going to work. And Mary, you know, Mary fell a while back, hurt herself. Everybody knows about her. Her fall was rather public. The whole flock was talking about it. <laughs> and he just walks down through the flock, eliminating one after another that's got issues. Don't you suppose if the shepherd were to walk through this flock, he could probably walk up and say, oh, no, not that one. I know about him. And, no, he's got a problem. She told me about it. That's not going to work. And he's got an issue or two. And, my Lord, he's got so many issues. He's got a subscription. That's not going to work. And he just walks through the flock saying this one's got a problem and that one made a mistake and this one got a scar and that one came from a broken family and this one's got emotional issues and that one's got a physical defect and that one's got psychological. You hear what I'm saying? And it wasn't, see, it wasn't just the things everybody knew about. Because even when he got one that looked pretty good in the way it dressed up on Sunday, he would bring that lamb up by his tent and he would examine it for days. Because it wasn't just good enough for it to look good in the public. He had to find whether or not there were scars that nobody could see when we dressed up on Sunday. He'd pull the wool back to look for a scar from childhood that they've covered up pretty good through the years. He'd pull the lips back to see if a tooth was missing, look on the bottom of the hoof to see when it was cracked because he couldn't just find one that looked good if it had a scar that nobody knew about. It still didn't measure up. And so finally he finds that one in a million lamb that doesn't have any blemishes and it looks good in the public eye and it looks good in public in private scrutiny. And he has looks that sheep over with a level of care that can only be termed consuming. He has looked under the wool. He has looked behind the ears. He's checked that thing out everywhere. And when it measures up, hear me, we're just about to take off. When he measures up, when he finds one that's perfect, he, he I mean, the hide has no scars. There's no bites of an insect. I mean, the wool is perfect. The Everything on it is perfect. When he finds that one that doesn't have any flaw at all, for that perfection, it dies. The question is, 
What does the shepherd do with one? that's got some scars? What does the shepherd do with one that's made some mistakes? What does the shepherd do with one that's not as good as others? What does the shepherd do with one that doesn't have it all together? This is my message in a nutshell, and I hope you'll respond because it is real for every one of us. When the shepherd found a scar, he looked at that little lamb and said, Good news, little lamb. You Get to live. Now that may not move you if you think you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. But if you know you've got some issues, if you know you've made some mistakes, if you know you limped your way in here, it's the best news in the world that the shepherd looks at us and says, I know about your damage. I know about your blemish. I know about your mistake. I know about your scar. But you get to live. Some wounded sheep ought to love on the shepherd for just a minute. Somebody that's got some mistakes ought to thank the shepherd for just a minute. It is amazing to me that the very thing that the sheep was most embarrassed about was its ticket to life. When that shepherd pulled the wool back and found a scar, he looked at that little lamb and said, Welcome home, sir. You get to stay here. You're mine today, and you'll be mine tomorrow, and nobody is ever going to take you away from me. And I would just have somebody know today that the shepherd has got his arm around you. And he's saying, I know everything about you. I knew everything about you before you ate your Pop-Tart this morning and drove to church. I know everything about your life. I know the things everybody can see. And I know the things that nobody can see. But I've got good news for you. You're mine today. And you'll be mine tomorrow. Welcome to the pasture. Welcome to the flock. Welcome. You belong here. Somebody hear me. When the enemy says you don't belong, I tell you you do. When the enemy says there's no place for you here, I tell you that's a lie. Just because you're damaged, that's why you belong here. Pretty soon you'd look around the pasture and all you could find was blemished sheep. You want to know who you're sitting amongst today? bunch of blemish sheep see let me do this kind of theologically for you the process started in the garden of eden when god had designs for a perfect flock he intended for them to be perfect and from the very first characters they were blemished and that blemish of Adam's sin was passed down to every little lamb that was born all through time. The Bible says by one man's sin, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. His disobedience, his scar has been passed down to every one of us. You look through the pages of the Old Testament and every one of them was scarred. Oh, some of it was more visible than others. Some of them you could see readily. Some of them you had to look a little closer. But every one of them had a scar. There wasn't one of them that measured up until you visit a little stable outside of Bethlehem on one starry night when shepherds were watching their sheep and born in that stable, perfected, protected by his father's incarnation, protected from the sin of mankind. You look at that little manger and you find for the first time the perfect lamb of glory has come down to earth and for the first time there is a human being that is worthy to be sacrificed. 
And the devil was scared to death of him. The devil said, I've got to scar him. The devil said, I've got to wound him. Turn these stones into bread. Oh, no. Man shall not live by bread alone. Uh, just, just, just jump off the temple and the angels will catch you. No, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. Get thee hence, Satan. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil went away from that encounter with his tail between his legs because he knew that that man was still perfect. Until no less than the voice of Scripture testifies about him and said he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. And at the end of his life, Pilate pulls him up close and examines him and says words that scared the very depths of hell when he looked at him and said, I find no fault in him. And for that perfection, he died. And then here you and I came to church today, my good brother, and we came in just like this. And the shepherd looks at me and says, welcome home, son. This is your place. I'm not getting rid of you. See, I'm just trying to help somebody change her thinking a little bit. When the enemy looks at you and says, you're not fit to live, I want you to know the shepherd says, no, he's not fit to kill. I'm sorry, did that go over your head? When the enemy tries to tell you you're not fit to live, God says, no, he's not good enough to kill. He is damaged. He is wounded. And that's who comes to my church. That's who lives in my pasture. That's who stays in my flock. I want somebody to hear me today. No matter how damaged you may be, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many days of regret you may have, the shepherd puts his arms around you and says, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, you're going to live with me. They drug that lady in, threw threw her down at his feet. We caught her in the act of adultery. I want to know, do we kill her or do we let her go? And you'll just allow me to paraphrase just a little bit here, but it is as though Jesus looked at him and said, well, um, is she perfect? Perfect? No, she's not perfect. She broke one of the big ten. We didn't bring her here for jaywalking. Her reputation is ruined. She's scarred in the eyes of everybody in this whole town. They'll be whispering about her behind closed doors for the rest of her life. Perfect? No, she's not perfect. She's a sinner. Oh, well, then you can't kill her. She's not good enough to kill. And then he stooped down and he started writing in the dust. I don't know what he wrote in the dust. Unless your pastor does, I've never met anybody that knows what he wrote in the dust. I've heard people speculate what he wrote in the dust. I don't know what he wrote in the dust. Maybe he did a crossword puzzle. I don't know what he did. All I know is that he made this statement before he started. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you guys are really looking for somebody to kill, there's only one here that's good enough. Let him that's without sin among you cast the first stone. Until I pick up rocks, 
you leave the rocks alone because I'm the only one here without sin. If you're looking for somebody to kill, I'm the only one good enough. Let her live. And I just wonder how many of us that there may have been people that wanted to wag their finger at us and say, I know about you. I know how dirty you are. Certainly the enemy of our soul tries to do that. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, don't you be afraid, child. I already died. The only one that was perfect died. So you get to live. I'm just trying to give somebody some hope today. This is your church. You hear me? If you're a guest here and you're looking for someplace, you'll be welcomed. You found it today. I don't care how you look around. The devil says, well, there are a bunch of good people and I'm messed up. No. Every one of us limped our way in here. Every one of us was damaged. Every one of us is wounded. You fit here with us because we all limp our way up to the shepherd's mercy. And the shepherd wraps his arms around us and says, I love you. No matter how many mistakes I've made, I have the opportunity to repent. And the shepherd embraces me again and says, I know you're damaged, but you get to live. <laughs> oh, I, I really wish the shepherd could preach today. I really do. Oh, if the shepherd could preach, you know what, you know what he'd do? You know what the shepherd do? He'd walk over in the flock and he'd, he'd pick one up. And he'd hold him up and say, this is, this is Abe. You know him as Abraham, but Abe, he's a, he's a mess. He lied, told, told a king that his wife was his sister because he was scared of what might happen to him. He's a liar. Well, throw him out. You, you, you hate lying. Oh I, oh, I know. I didn't approve of it, but throw him out. Well, I'm not going to throw him out. Abraham's going to be the father of the faithful. No, I'm not throwing him out just because he made a mistake. I got plans for him. You stay here, Abraham. Thank you. We'll pick up these two. This is Jimmy and Johnny. James and John, for those of you that are struggling. I saw someone going, Jimmy. I don't remember Jimmy. Work with me. You should have stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night. It would have been easier. <laughs> Jimmy and Johnny, oh, they're a mess. Sons of thunder. Got their mama, you, coming in, asking me if they could sit on either side of me when I come into my kingdom. <laughs> Wanting to call fire down from heaven on people that don't believe in me. Throw them out. Throw them out. Oh, no, no, no. Are you kidding me? This is, this is, this is the disciple that I love. No, I'm going to show him things about the end of time that the rest of us will puzzle about for years. <laughs> James, he's going to pastor the church in Jerusalem, estimated to be some 50,000 people. That's how successful he's going to be. Throw him out just because he made a mistake? No, no, no. <laughs> Pete. Thank you. <laughs> Pete. Oh, my mercy. What a mess. Bombastic, impetuous, mouthy. Denied he knew me on the most critical night of my life. Well, throw him away. You can't build your church around somebody that you can't even trust. Throw him out? No, I'm not going to throw him out. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him the keys to the kingdom. 
And he's going to preach the birthday sermon of the church. Throw him out. No, no. And see, it's not just those ones that have names that are familiar to us. Jesus spent his life showing his love for blemished sheep. Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. Sheep don't belong up in trees. I'm going to your house. Oh, you don't want to go to his house. He's a mess. I know all about him, but I'd rather go to his house than a bunch of self-righteous people that don't think they need me. Come on, Zacchaeus. What's that? Oh, yeah, I know. You've had five husbands, and the the ram you've got now is not your husband. (laughs) But I sent all the rest of the crew off to Taco Bell so that I could be here to meet with you because for all of your damaged goods, I love you. This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm damaged goods. I'm a criminal. They've driven nails through my hands and feet just like you. I'm scarred. I know. But you're mine. I don't know you well enough to preach this near about as good as your pastor could. But if I knew you, can I, can I brother, if I knew you, I could... Oh, I could stand you up here and I could echo the I could echo the words of the enemy as he says, No, I know about his mistakes. I know what he was before he came to Calvary. I, I know everything he used to be, and I, there's no way, no way you don't know him. But I hear the shepherd saying, Sir, you're mine, and you're mine today, and you'll be mine tomorrow. And here's the here's the awesome thing, because see, when the shepherd, watch, when the shepherd looks at him, he doesn't even see the scars anymore. Let me prove this to you. Watch this. You, What's your name? Carlos. Carlos, I, I don't know you, and please don't whip me. But, but, but if, if we could right now just play on that screen everything that Carlos has ever done in his life, every mistake, every bad thought, every wrong deed, everything he's ever done wrong, if we could parade that all across the screen, do you know what would be happening in this place right about then? People would be going, I didn't know Carlos did that. I, I, I didn't know Carlos keep the kids away from Carlos. But you know what else would be happening, my dear brother? When those things started parading across the screen, the shepherd would be standing next to you saying, I don't remember Carlos doing that. I don't remember Carlos doing that. When did Carlos do that? The first thing I see is Carlos coming up out of the water, baptized in my name, and the blood of Jesus Christ covered the wreck. I don't see the scars anymore. I don't see it anymore. I embraced him. I loved him. I forgave him. Somebody needs to hear me. The shepherd is reaching. The shepherd loves you. The shepherd cares about you. Blemished sheep get to live. Would you just stand with me here today? Every blemished lamb in this house needs to hear what I'm telling you right now. Blemished sheep get to live and so no matter your background no matter your mistakes no matter your wounds no matter your scars no matter how many regrets or how many days you wish you could do over when you limp your way to Jesus the shepherd looks at you and says it's okay you get to live if you were listen If you were perfect, you wouldn't need a Savior. Even Jesus said, they that are whole 
have no need of a physician. He didn't come to us because we're perfect. He comes to us because we're not. And he loves us just like we are. Would you just close your eyes with me for a moment here right now? I wonder if maybe some of us that have tasted of God's mercy could just reach to him for a moment and thank him for the mercy of God that's showered in our lives. Would you, would you just let your voice come up out of your mouth right now and just thank God for that kind of mercy? We don't deserve to be here. We're scarred and damaged and wounded and broken, but the shepherd loves us. The shepherd loves us. The shepherd loves us. Jesus, I feel the shepherd. I feel the shepherd. Hear me well right now. Listen. If you're under the sound of my voice here today and you've got some regrets, hear me well right now. Oh, shepherd, would you just embrace us for a moment? I'm talking to somebody that's carried the scars since your childhood because your family broke up talking to someone here today who has carried the scars and memories of abuse that you suffered. Some perverted person scarred you. And the enemy has done all he could to make you feel worthless all your life. I'm reaching for somebody here today that's made some mistakes. And the enemy's tried to tell you that you can't ever be effective for God again because you fell. I rebuke that lie out of hell and I tell you, you can bring your scars to him and there's still a purpose for you and there's still a ministry for you. I reach to somebody today that knows the haunting guilt of having aborted a child and you're haunted by that, but I tell you, Jesus knows all about it and he still embraces you and loves you. Please, please hear me. Woo, Jesus is trying to reach to somebody right now. And I, if that's you in, in, in any way, in any way, you just you just feel broken and you emotionally you're damaged. I don't care what it is. If you're here and you'd like to come to the shepherd, I just invite somebody to limp their way up to the altar today. I invite you to limp your way up to the shepherd right now. Bring your baggage. Bring your hurts. Bring your scars. Bring your disappointments. Bring the yesterdays that you wish you could redo. Bring it all to the shepherd. It's okay. It's all right, you say, but preacher, you don't know how I've lived. No, but I know the shepherd. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You're right, I don't, but I know the shepherd. You don't know how many things I wish I could redo. I know, but I know the shepherd, and the shepherd loves you. The shepherd loves you just like you are. I wish some of you would come and pray with some of your brothers and sisters up here today. We've got folks that are trying to seek some mercy in their lives. Would you come love them and embrace them? Be the arms of the shepherd right now. Be the hands and the arms of the shepherd right now.
to